Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 10th episode of your Foodie Fantasy Podcast. I have here with me my co-host, Ayo. Hey, guys. We're here again. My regular guest, Yemi. Hey, guys. I hope everybody's having a very, very good weekend. And my ever-reliable producer, Bolu. Today, we want to talk about building teams. Over the past few years, and when I mean few, stretching back to maybe 20 years, we've seen different kind of managers build different kind of teams. Some guys look, like to build teams where they, you know, buy players, spend a lot of money. Most notably, around 2003, we had um, Abramovich coming to Chelsea and Jose Moreno was giving a cash of money and um, he went out and bought the best he could buy, molded a team and won a lot of titles. Before that, there was the Galacticos of Real Madrid, managed by Del Bosque, bankrolled by Polantino Perez. They were actually quite successful. But we had also seen a few successful managers, legends, you would call them, LVG, Sir Alex Ferguson, build teams of youngsters without really spending much, picking from the academy. Um, sometimes they would say that they were following the rule of as long as you're good enough, you're old enough. And they also built great teams, some of the best teams we saw in football. So today we're trying to find out what are the advantages and disadvantages of each system. Is there anything good with working with kids? Is it better to go ahead and spend money and win? Does spending money guarantee success? Or is the saying you can't really win anything with kids right? So um, I'm going to ask Yemi to talk a little bit about building teams with kids. Building teams with kids, uh, I think that takes a lot. And, and then a coach, it depends on the team and it depends on the coach. Uh, a coach that has time on its hand, which is hard now to find. No, but in those days, it was easier for you to build with, it was easier for you to build with kids because cause you have longer time. You have longer time to experiment. So, and, and then listen, we have to find out why. Some coaches will build with kids, with kids because they want to implement something. They want a reflection of their thought to be seen. So and, kids, are easier, easier yeah. to mold. Yeah, yeah, very true. Kids are easier to mold. And then it's, kids are also this easier to boss around and shout on. You can't shout on stars. Even in those days, you couldn't shout on stars because stars were stars. So, so kids, so kids, you can tell a kid, man, this you have to train, train twice a day, three times a day. They're not going to balk because guess what? They are children and they look up to the coach. They always respect the coach and also sometimes they see the coach as their father. In those days, in those days, there was always like that father-son relationship. He was my coach, but also was my father. So yes, I can. In those days, it worked because there was more time. The benefit of it was, was like when it worked well in a good system, if you have good kids that can get the job done, when it worked well, they sing the praise of not just, not just the players. But of no, the manager. But of the manager as well. That's why it's a guy like Van Gaal now. No matter what you want to say about Van Gaal, a lot of people still respect him for the great job he did in Netherlands. Not just with Ajax, uh, with this club. Is it Is it Akma? Even till now, Eze Akmar is still benefiting from what he did with them in the past. Everybody knows about the case of Sadis Alex Ferguson and what he did, the class of 92. So, but, so yes, is it a good thing to build with kids? Yes. 
is it sustainable now is a good question where like i think if you have time and then and then you have a good direction you have good backing from your boss and then you have a good playing style and then you have the right kids to build with it can work so Ayo, what do you think about um building with money buying superstars or ready-made products we saw Dreamer do it for what upwards of 10 15 years and recently the last couple of years they've veered away from that model um even the um, their president, Florentino Perez, recently has said it himself, actually. And I think he said it last year when they bought Vinicius Jr. and Rodrigo that what they want to do is pretty much, pretty much the model that Chelsea has done in a different way. Chelsea bought the youngest English superstars. And, but what they are doing, they're buying the youngest, brightest superstars, mostly South American. They ought to buy them ahead of time. People like Rodrigo, people like Vinicius, Raheem and put them and develop them because they say they cannot, because of FFP. This was a statement directly from Florentino Perez. The problem about building with money is, the disadvantage and pitfalls I see from building with money is usually, like every team you are building, you are building in a, a coach's image, correct? So if you build a team with money based, driven by how a coach wants to play football and, spe and specialists, like, using just money as, yeah. as, as an example, what happens is, if it doesn't work, just because of the amount of investment that's been spent by that club, and that coach gets kicked out, the new manager that comes in, typically wants to build his own. Wants to build his own without money. So you spend tons of millions of billions of pounds, and now you're doing all over again. So at what point, if you don't get to win, at what point is it sustainable to build to a culture of a club? versus building to a culture of, of a manager in the sense that how do you want to play versus, oh, this is the type of players you want in each position. It's not left for the manager to say, okay, let me fit this player in the system, but not the manager handpicking players. So that that is the problem about building with money. Yeah. I think a uh, combination of both, which I know the conversation will kind of veer into, is usually the best best model. But what you said something about building, you know, do you choose to build into the culture of the club, where, you know, maybe the culture of the club being building with kids. Correct. But what if the culture of the club is building with stars? Because, for example, um, you were talking about Real Madrid yep. bearing away from it, but there's a club that's actually still doing it and they're kind of sustaining it and they're still winning, which would be Man City, who built what I would call a brand new club, even though it wasn't a brand new club per Co se, because they bought Man City, but... The Bob Man City, when Man City was really, really a terrible club. Correct. Terribly run. They had a lot of fans. They had, a, a, you know, a, a lot, some history. And then they invested hundreds of millions of pounds and built a whole new football club. Correct. You know, bought the stadium, built a football campus and all of that. And they winning, um, you know, reaping the rewards right now. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I see is, I don't think each style is perfect, and I don't think each style is infallible. Okay. They all have their pitfalls. Because the first thing is managers are finite. It's the 
the first problem managers have is no matter who you are, you have a, a certain amount of time. There's a certain amount of patience, depending on which club. It varies from club to club, but fans are, are going to run out of patience at the time. Owners are going to run out of patience at some time. And once you run out of it, you're gone. So you, you're under pressure to win. So it doesn't matter what style you adopt, you have to win. Correct. Um, the advantage sometimes with not spending money is that it sometimes creates less pressure. That's my opinion. It, it, and picking kids from the academy has this thing where you have a, a, a little bit of direct connection between the fans and these players. Because these players came through this academy, they were ball boys, the, the fans know them, the match-going fans know them. So they feel like these are our own, these are our boys, these are our sons, these are our kids, mm -hmm. you know. A great example is um, good Raul. Raul's success and Cassia's success with Real Madrid kind of supersedes in a lot of Madridistas' eyes. Even though uh, Ronaldo won so much with Real Madrid, for example, yep. these guys are bigger legends he than would, he is. He would never be a Raul. Yeah, because be Raul is like a god. Right. Because he stepped through, he came through that club from day one. Same thing with Casillas. Even though Casillas didn't enter well. Did Raul come from the club? He didn't come, but he came at a very young age. Okay, because I came from Atletico. Yeah, right? he came from Atletico. Yeah. But remember, Atletico is in Madrid as well. Correct. So, you know, like basically, they see it as this is our boy. Our boy, you know, he knows the club is from here. But it doesn't matter, you have to win. Um, I want us to look at each system a little bit in depth and Correct. compare, like, um, for example, I'm going to pick on um, Moreno. Moreno... The, the quick fix merchants, I like to call him that. It was a real quick the, fix the merchant. Patch, the patch job expert. This is not a patch job. He should be a tailor, actually. Well, <laughs> a patch. I, well if he was a tailor, if you want to call him a tailor, tailor, I wouldn't call him a tailor of a patch job. I think that's a bit patronizing <laughs> to the guy. Um, he, made, uh, he made fine suits. Well, the gentleman that made fine suits. He was able to... Him and Ancelotti were guys that were able to, you know, use whatever material they had. Uh, Especially, but of course, they had, like, uh, Chalotti at uh, AC Milan had the best material, and Moreno had the best material, right. so he made the best suits. <laughs> I like the Moreno quote, where he said, the quality of omelette depends on the quality of eggs. You can't make good omelettes without good eggs. Correct. So, he said that. That quote actually summarizes his style. Give me the best players, I'll give you the best. That was him. He just wanted the best players, and he that's why he kind of always won quickly. Correct. He won a lot quickly. The disadvantage of that as well was that there's this thing with managing superstars that you spoke about where kids are more malleable. Kids are easier to control. I remember Romario. Romario going to Barcelona had his own eccentricities. This guy was like, I got to go to the real <laughs> carnival. <laughs> that guy got so he got the manager to promise him and that if he scored a a, a goal, he will get sub so he could get a flight. He could go to the carnival. Sorry, before the game started, he told the manager, "Look, I booked my flight already. <laughs> so you, you make sure if I score the goal, you sub me." He scored the goal very early. He told the guy, "You gonna sub me?" The guy said, "No, score again." The guy scored again, and he made sure to score. <laughs> he's got a hat trick. I think yeah, he's got he's got a, the manager kept telling him, manager kept telling him no score again. He scored a hat trick and told the guy get me out of here. I left. You know that's the problem with um, superstars that sometimes they bring their ego. Correct. Their ego sometimes is bigger than the manager, bigger than mm -hmm. the players, and there's always there's this clash of egos. And 
it goes to like for example the Bosque's time, the first time the Bosque where the time the Bosque struggled, that's why having all these types because they couldn't gel, they couldn't be molded into a team. So that is one of the problems with building a team of superstars is sometimes superstars do not power for each other. And the, in team football, as in most team sports, egos have to be the team has to have an ego and everybody has to buy into the team ego. Correct. Yes. Go ahead. Can I say something to that? Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually great that you mentioned that point. Any great coach, any soccer philosopher that is a coach, will always want to build with they don't just go gung ho kids, but they have those older guys in the team that 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 can be trusted, and they serve a particular purpose. They are those coaches on the field that can mirror what what the coach on the bench wants. A perfect example was Pep Guardiola when he came to Baka. The likes of Ronaldinho, Samueletto, all those all those older older guys really didn't last much, and it wasn't because they were bad. It was just that for the type of football he wanted to play, he doesn't. He didn't know if those guys could do it. I, I, pretty much, he didn't just trust them. He didn't trust the way Ronaldinho was living his life and stuff. He just wanted football, football. Ronaldinho was the guy that right before game. And came, the players actually felt they were bigger than him. I, yeah, to understand. I remember, yes, I remember yes. a quote from. He one, came from. He came from their youth team. Yeah. He came the from there. Asked him, "Who are you?" So, so this, if you are trying to build, if you are trying to build, if you are trying to build a culture, you are trying to build a team, and then you have one of your stars saying, "This is who are you?" And then, like the younger ones are looking like they're like, "Okay, what's going on here?" So basically, he had to ship out quality players. Deco, at that point in time, Deco was probably one of the best yeah, central midfielders in the game. Samuel, all those guys, ship them out. He brought in Messi, and told Ronaldo. Ronaldo, I think Ronaldo played with Pep for one season. I mean. One or two seasons. Ronaldinho, you mean? Yeah, Ronaldinho, yeah. yes. Yeah. One season. And <laughs> after that, I, I think Homeboy knew that this was Messi's team. And then from then on, he could then build. He brought in Iniesta. Brought in Iniesta fully. Busquets. Uh, used style to 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 maneuver Yaya Toure. Uh, shifted him out of the team. So shifted all, it to her. Uh, shifted it to her. Shifted her. And then he had to do that because there were some older guys there on that team that I could trust. The likes of Punyol. Punyo was there before, before, before this guy. Yeah, Carlos, yeah. Nobody. He could. He could look at the guy and say, "Yes, you are a mirror of what I want to do." So the, a lot of people said that the team was built around Messi. Yes and no. The team was built in the perfect reflection of Punyo. Punyo was the embodiment of the team. Punyo was the spirit of it. It's just like a, a golden state. A lot of people talk about uh, Curry, but Green was the emotional leader of the team. Green was that embodiment. So this with that too. That matters. You can have the older, you can have all younger guys like you want, but you need those older heads. Those heads that can help guide those children. Even when it's, they might be too high, the older ones will say, calm down. You might be too low, the older ones will lift you up and say, you come up just to, I'm just. Okay. Uh, Ayo, one of the most famous teams we ever had of youngsters was the LVG team, Ajax team. Of 94 95, back to back champions, they won one of them. They actually lost one on penalties. Probably the finest team of youngsters I ever saw, but one. There's another team of youngsters that, would, you know, was I think was better, which would be the United team that came after them in 97. Um, using those two teams, Alex Ferguson's, the, the, the team that broke that, you know, the, the quote of Alan Hansen, you can't win anything with kids. And LVG's team 
of 94, 95, what do you think are the advantages of building with kids and what are the pitfalls managers would face if they were to try and do that? So I, I think the perfect advantage of building with kids is longevity. If, especially if the manager has like almost an endless reign in the club. The advantage of that is having those kids grow in to the club where they have a structure of older people, players, to groom them, to nurture them. Once the, those kids have the right quality, which is what I think is the most critical component of all of this, True. the Ferguson realized that this team had the right talent and were talented enough to step up. To step up. So True. building with those that team while you grow enabled him, one, um, consistency in the team, uh, not have too much turnover of players, enable that team play a particular system for a long time. Also reduce, you know, the amount you spend, obviously, in transfer market. Sure. When you have a set of kids who are the core of your team, growing with that team. Also, more, more, more importantly, I think the most important thing is when you are, the ability to reboot that whole team, having, because you have the core of the, of the team of kids who are pretty much indebted to you, who can be your soldiers on the field and reflect your philosophy, your style as a manager, your personality that this team should have. So when new players come in, literally from day one, like ever, I think Patrice, Patrice ever mentioned it, mentioned it um, when he first came. He said he said it recently, I think, a couple of weeks ago, like when he first joined Manchester United, he was told straight away, like, hey, this is a team. This is a team of men. You have come to a team of men. He thought it was just a thing that was told. I think he said, if I remember, it was either Geeks or Rokin that told him that. That this is a team. I think it was Giz because Rakina left then. I think it was Giz said that told his kids of me. He said after his first season, he understood what that meant. And he told the same thing to Van Persie when Van Persie joined. So I think that that's one advantage. Pitfalls, I would say, of building with kids. I think the, the first pitfall is I also, funny enough, controversial opinion. I think the trying to build a team of kids or three or youth is very overrated, in my opinion. And I say the why it's overrated because when you look at history, the amount of teams for huge big teams, we won't share a big team. If you look at history, the amount of teams that have been built by using like kids from the youth system or building with kids in compare, comparison to all the teams that have played, say for the last 30 years, it's very, very minimal. And no, most big clubs, it's a very romantic idea. It's the romanticism that makes people say that. But how many times can you have a La Masia of the La Masia of the Iniesta? Yeah, yeah. La Masia still exists. Yeah. It hasn't gone but away. How, but they don't to get, be able to get a set of graduates at the same place. time. Exactly. How often can you get a class of 92? Might yeah. not happen again for the next yeah. 15, 20 yeah. years. How often are you going to get the Ajax kids of 95? The yeah. next generation was almost 30 years later, the one we just saw. 20 years later. Yeah. Almost 20 years later, we delete the young. So I think the pitfalls of it is getting stuck in that romanticism of trying to force that through and forgetting your short-term objectives. In, in the sense that, in the romances of trying to build with youth, you also have to remember that you have some players who you are either already the team or who you've bought who are here for the now. When players are here for the now, are you going to tell the player that's here for the now, oh, in four or five years' time, will be good. And when I'm here for the now, a 27, 26-year-old in his prime will not wait forever. And I think that's one, if prime examples during under Asenwenga, I think that's one of the major problems Asenwenga had during that period where it looked like 
they were doing a project of just constant youth players. They were had players that were there for the now, the now series that were wondering like, you know, what well, they, they were good enough to win now. Yeah, Correct. Like, and they could not wait because they wanted to win right now. So yeah. that 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 is the one pitfall I see about that. I Can think, I say something yeah, to ahead. that if you don't mind? Mm-hmm. And also another another thing to look at is if you're building, if you're selling, if you're a selling club and you try to build, you'll be an end, you'll be in an endless building phase. Yeah. Let us see a team like Dortmund now, for instance. Mm-hmm. They have some very, very good young, young guys coming, you know, but we know that Dortmund will always sell to Bayern Munich because Bayern Munich probably... Or somebody else. Or, mom or, or probably somebody else. So this, you can spend time grooming all these players. A perfect example is at clubs like Southampton, Ajax, Amsterdam, those kids... Napoli. Napoli. Sometimes... And, and a lot of French teams. A, a lot of French teams because it's, they build... And you and and then you think that you can win, and then one rich club just come and knock your player. Then after that, you have to rebuild again. So again, 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 those big clubs that are like money driven, that that have the that have enough money to buy any player, they can just look at any young player and say, "Okay, man, yeah. you can help us build this player for two seasons. We are coming for you." I think, yeah, uh, yeah I think a major pitfall with building with kids is that uh, eventually every kid outgrows their father. You know, you, 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 the success of a father or a, a, a mother is that your kid leaves the house. And so your kid grows and goes, I'm too big for this. Yeah. So if you're not winning, the kid goes, I want to go where I want to win. True. And going back to LVG, that was his problem. That's actually what, what happened to LVG was that the, the Boas left, Sidoff left, David's left, Clivert left. You know, these guys, they started leaving because one, Ajax, that's the other thing. Ajax was still looking at them like kids. We don't want to pay them top salary. Because, come on, we raised you. Come on, but your um, loyalty was, you should be um, you should be grateful, you know. But, no, that's not what these kids were looking at. They're trying to make their money. So what? They, they wanted to move on. So pretty much your point mm-hmm. was, in that place, is money. Because no, not, not just money, but because glory. Ajax, Ajax mm-hmm. at that time. They were in glory time because they were dominating the they were dominating the Dutch league, That's and right. then they got to two Champions Leagues final. That's right. you, you know, but one thing you know, but one thing that can also be said is that it's just like what you said: money and earning power. If you if it's just like a team, you want to outgrow your dad. So listen, in a team, in a team, and they're looking at you like, yeah, we know you, we brought you up. And then there's one thing that team that is willing to pay you double the money or maybe more of the money, and then it's, you can see life. You can play for another team. You are you have already accomplished. League like league titles and champions, Champions League, with Ajax now for instance. Those are the rising guards, the bogus overmass yeah. for overmass for instance. So yes, there's another thing too. It also be money. Yeah. So so let me let me summarize this and say that um, the four coaches we mentioned: Mourinho, Salah, Ferguson, Luis Van Gaal, and Ancelotti. Ancelotti slash Del Bosque. They had, most of them had a problem. Only one of them didn't have this problem, where they never were there to finish whatever they were doing. Mm. The boss got fired. Ancelotti got fired. Moreno got fired. LVG got fired. The reason was, LVG started losing a lot of players, and he didn't have the quality of youngsters coming up to replace them. Moreno stopped winning. You know, and the same happened with all of them. The Bosque couldn't win as much as they wanted him to win. He was fired for not winning the Champions League. But Alex Ferguson, however, had longevity. He was there for so long that he 
also did something that these guys did not have the opportunity to do. Correct. He mixed. He started mixing styles. Correct. He started buying players. He started mixing like his team of 2005 to around 2009, especially 2007, 2009, which was a very dominant team, was a mixture of the youthful firebrand Wayne Rooney. That boy was just hot with the young Ronaldo, backed by the older Paul Scholes, Rio Ferdinand, and Vidage. And they even brought the veteran who was even older than these guys, who was um, Van der Sar in goal. And that guy kind of sealed the team. He completed the team by picking veterans in, with mixed them with these kids. But because he had the time, he had the time to do this. He was Manchester United. Yeah, he was so Manchester United. Was Manchester United. Yeah. So it, that, that, that's why, for example, his style, oh, he is the greatest ever because he was able to see out his legacy, do what he wanted and finish it, complete his legacy and leave. So I think finding the mixture of those two systems is how you build a team. In modern-day football, coaches don't even last, and they all know it now. Correct. Two or three years, they're gone. Yeah. So they don't want to plan more than two or three years. Beyond that, they're risking it. Correct. I, I absolutely agree. That's a, that's a great segue. Uh, we'll take in our first musical break, interlude, and when we come back, we'll segue into the mailbag. So we have a couple of questions. A um, couple of questions we want to go into the mailbag. Welcome back. Uh, welcome back from the break. Uh, we'll jump into our question. So, Buchi, what was our first question? Actually, uh, we've got three great questions here. And um, one of them, it's, a, it's, a, it's going to take a while to answer. So, I'm going to do a flip. I'm going to start with question three. Because question three, I think... Yemi, I'm going to ask you this question. Who, who left the question? This question is from Toby. Friend of the show, Toby. Thanks for the yeah. question. Thanks for the question, There's two Toby. questions in this. Okay. I think you can answer both of them. Okay. The first question is, should Arsenal fire Una Emery now or risk being too far from top four before making a decision? And then the other question is, why hasn't United signed a director of football? They're both from Toby. Uh, why? Okay, okay. This, let me start with the Manchester United one. Why haven't Manchester United hired a director of football? I think simply because Woodward does not want to hire a director of football, pretty much. That's just me, because the writings have been on the wall and everything is has indicated that we needed a director of football. You can There's no way we bounce it around each other for us to actually know we do need a director of football. A director of football that can come and place the culture and tradition of what Manchester United should be. The time of Sir Alex Ferguson is gone. This is new times now. A director of football can come and lay the foundation down of how football in Manchester United should be played and for the foreseeable future. A director of football, for the most part, lasts longer than the coach. Your, dire- your opinion, yeah. uh, why do you think he doesn't want to? Why do you think Eddie Lord doesn't want to? Just answer. My opinion, I think he wants to be in the forefront. I think, I think, I think in Woodward's case, maybe in his mind, 
he sees that we are building something. We are building something great. And he wants to be, and, and then he wants to be the face. He's all you can always find him. He, he likes to call the shots and stuff. So this a man that likes to call the shots won't just really it's gonna put it apart. Yeah. It's hard. And the second question is should this Onaimere be fired now or should they wait? Well, waiting would risk maybe them being too far from the top four. I don't want him gone yet because I still feel he needs time. He bought some new, he bought some good players in, and they need time to be bedded in. Pepe, 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 Pepe would be a very, very good player for the league, I think. But yes, I do understand. I do understand the case of him leaving now. Uh, he should leave. Let's just say he should leave and get somebody that can get the best out of these players. Well, how how are we sure somebody will get the best out of them? Isn't that risky as well? <laughs> That's a very, very risky one too. And that's and that's where I'm cutting between. I do understand this Arsenal fans thinking that Onaimeri should leave because he hasn't gotten the best out of these players. And then they are still confused. Me, myself, watching Arsenal, I don't know the style of football we're going to see. Are we going to see attacking today? Are we going to see defensive? We have so much creative players in that midfield for this Arsenal and they are not really, really creating that much. What is the boss going on with Metzelozil? Lacazette, Pepe. In some in some games, Pepe play. Some games, like I said, don't play. Sebaios, uh, a very very good player. He started the season playing well. Suddenly, he's been dropped for the back. Why? What is going on with Gwenduzi? What's going on with What's going on with Shaka? Shaka. So a lot of questions. So, so, so your, in your in your opinion, you believe that because he hasn't been able to mold the team into a certain style, that he should go because he's had enough time to at least do that. He has a year. He has had a year and a half or two. Yes, had a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So this. Is, okay. My next question is. I just want to jump in. I just. Yeah. Quick, okay. I think they should fire him specifically because if they don't fire him now, they will not be able to prepare their EBT. <laughs> <laughs> and I have Mourinho as their yeah, credit card <laughs> that they use. <laughs> is this transparent to say like Pepe? <laughs> Shout out to Pepe though. Pepe, Pepe has made ball. Pepe has made more tackles than uh, Aaron Wan Pisaka. So he's now an invited right wing an invited right wing back now. So shout out to Pepe. Wow. <laughs> okay, wow. We have another Was question. that why they got him? <laughs> yes, <to> make tackles. <laughs> <laughs> we have another question from one of my um one of my close friends actually, Mohamed Musa from Twitter. Okay. This came through Twitter. It's actually one of my childhood friends. I grew up with this guy. Um all the way from Nigeria. His question is, what is your opinion on Boba's position? Should he replace Pereira up front as a number 10? Or should he play deep in central midfield? Well, you can start, Yemi. Should Pogba re- replace Pereira? Yes. That is if this Olegona Social is going to stick with the 4 one which I think he's going to stick with. And I bought this, and is he going to do it? For me, Pogba should, should replace Pereira. Leave McTominay and Fred in the base Different. of midfield. I think I think the team will work well there. No, but what what I think is Ole will do is we will take out Fred and play Pogba because we play a six-second game rule. We are going to capitalize on pace. Manchester United's team is based on capitalizing on pace. The pace of Rashford, James, and Martial. If you play Pogba as a ten, all those quick balls. You know, from this defensive midfield down to attack, we won't get that much because I don't think 
Fred and McTominay might be able to. I think Fred can do it. No, but it, since he's growing in confidence, he can actually switch those passes. Uh, I mean, I mean, my, my suggestion would be like instead of playing four two three one, just go four three three. Where like you have Pogba, McTominay, Fred in midfield, and just have those attacking threes of whatever combination: Rashford, Martial, James up front, and that should work well. So, so man, the question is, should should this Pogba replace Pereira in the four two three one system? Yes. I believe, in my opinion, I think they should change the formation. I believe um, uh, they should play 4-3-3 and take Pereira out of the team, play Boba deeper. In, in a 4-3-3 formation, Boba is not a 10. I've never seen him as a natural 10. You're forcing it. So mm -hmm. with him playing in a 4-3-3, you get him playing left central midfield where he's good. Sure. He can bump forward, there's nothing stopping him from bumping forward and True. coming back. And he has the energy to go back and forth. True. So, play him as a 10 restricts his his ability to roam. And that guy has range. When I mean Can range, I it's not about passing. I am so sorry to That's cut okay. you off. That's okay. Sorry to cut you off. Mm -hmm. I know the answer to this, but maybe I'm just mixing it up. Mm. Why exactly did Ole switch from 4-3-3 that served him well, last season, although with different players in midfield, Herrera, Matic, to now four to three. He started losing games when players got injured. When he was playing four three three, he switched. Um, basically, when players came off the bench, he had some injuries. He started losing, and that's the thing that happens with managers sometimes. Managers are afraid of losses, so he decided to play safe, and you know, and we found that formation maybe safer. And the, the thing about Boba is because Boba is very strong and powerful and very skillful, he can play deep like he did with France. And so he, he felt he was better playing him in front of the box. And like you said, launch those long balls up forward. So that's why he switched formation and he hasn't wanted to switch since. Okay. Uh, yeah, we've overflowed. I just wanted to just leave uh, a lasting thought about that question because that question leads to so many things. Um, my thoughts about that question, yes. I think we should go to 4 3, 3 I don't think we have the players to play 4 3 one uh, First, most important for a 4 3 one is your overlapping fullbacks. You know, our, our fullbacks don't overlap. They don't, they don't give the feed with. So, um, Manchester, Manchester United do not have overlapping fullbacks and they don't give um, the team enough width. 4 3, three is the best. One myth, not myth, the one thing people forget is before Ole came, we were playing 4 3 It was just different. It was a different... People, it was just different personnel. That's he, right. He just brought Pogba back into the team, took out Fellaini, and that that's that was the only change he made. Yeah. So, in my opinion, when I look back at everything that's happened, I think he stumbled upon that 4-3-3. He always wanted to play 4-3-1. And when he had the time to train and coach the team, he went into what is his default. So this is what he wanted to play. That's my opinion. Now we have a long question, which Bucci, which is targeted for Bucci <laughs> to answer, and all of us will chip in into the question, because when we talked about the question, Bucci was extremely excited about this question. This question is from Idris, friend of the show. He was also, check him out on the video pod coming out earlier, coming out later in the week, our City-Chelsea preview coming out. Should Benzema have the right to play for another country, considering the issues with Deschamps? There's like, it's a multiple-part question. Okay. It says, because Canada was rocked with the puppy controversy in the NHL, 
broadcast on who wears poppy during Remembrance Day and who doesn't. Should <coughs> things like poppy or even mini talent be observed during the game? Example, Saudi versus Australia mini talent that caused a massive uproar. What is the healthy balance between politics and football? It's a multi-part question. So let's start with the first one. Bucci. Should okay. Benzema have the right to play? Only Bucci talks about this one. Should Benzema have the right to play for another country? No. Considering this issue with the national? No. This is, a, this is something that has already been answered. It's been overflogged. And I think um, you can't eat your cake and have it. Benzema was a, was a multinational guy. He has he had the opportunity to play for Algeria. He refused. Correct. Decided to play for France. He's got some glory with France. And this is not a case of France not using this kid. This guy was used by France, used a lot. The reason why he lost his place in France was because of some very nasty stuff he was involved with that was that was going to cost his teammates a lot. And that thing came out in public, some blackmail stuff, and they kicked him out of the team because of that. So... You don't wake up and do something and not bear the consequences and, or face the consequences and start trying to complain about it. It's a different case when a kid... How did, how did I miss that? I yeah, there missed was that. a problem with Valbuena that basically what happened was there was a, a, a sex tape or something of that sort or something with a girl. So somebody was trying to blackmail Valbuena. It was a friend of Benzema. Oh. And Benzema was trying to link the guy with... Valbena. When Valbena, when the guy actually approached Valbena, Valbena flipped out and went to the cops instead of falling for the blackmail. And then they found out Benzema was involved. Wow. Yeah, so it was a big scandal then. And the How band, long ago was this? I totally missed this. This was three years ago. Three years ago. Two, three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. Oh, wow. 2016, okay. yeah. Um, so it was a big deal. It was, it was a big a deal. deal. Yeah, it was I knew a police he fell case. out, but I didn't yeah. know the It was a police case. It was a police case and some other players yeah. were dragged into it. It was the same period when... Um, um, Ribery had a case with a, a young girl. Correct, and yeah, yeah, that, that was that same period. So it's a different thing when, for example, um, like let me use an example now on um, someone like Tammy Abraham, who is multinational, maybe plays one game for England and maybe England dumps him. I mean, that's that doesn't look like it will happen. I'm just giving you an example. Correct. And then he goes five years later, goes, Hey, look, England never really played me, they played me once, they just paid me to lock me up. So can you release me? That's a different thing from. You know happened to one Nigerian player. Yeah, it's happened to a lot of players. Ifani Koku. A lot of players, not just a lot of players from different parts of the world, have had this where they maybe play one game and then they're locked up. Correct. What FIFA did was say, okay, if you played one game before you're 21, you can switch before you're 21. But it's, I think as an adult, if you one. only played less than five games, I believe you should be able to switch because it's not right for one country not to play you while maybe another nation needs you. But if you've played close to 50 games, which um, this guy has done, um, <coughs> um, Benzema has done. Benzema has played at least 30 games for France. Yep. Man, that guy should chill. And, you know, he has had his days of glory. Okay. Yeah. Uh, second question. The second part of the question. is When it's asked with things like the poppy controversy or mini silence, should, be, should that even be observed during a game? Um, I'm a political... I'm a political guy. You know, I like politics. I... It's the only thing I like more than politics is wow. football. We never noticed. <laughs> I, but the, see, the thing about it is I've been able to do this thing in my life, which is I have split religion, politics, and sports. I split them from each other successfully. I split them from actually from everything because they're very so very controversial that 
I find out that when you mix them with different facets of your life, you it gets muddy. You muddy the waters. The NFL faced a crisis two years ago, two, three years ago, with the Black Lives Matter, the kneeling issues. And the problem I noticed was because the NFL never stipulated that politics cannot, you can't protest. Because they never said that. They couldn't stop people from protesting. In football, soccer, you cannot actually protest. You know you're not allowed to, you know, like, when you're celebrating a goal to make a political sign. You get it's, fined. You, you get, get fined. fined. It's, it's not allowed. So in that sense, the same thing happens with things that I believe are controversial. Nations are not homogeneous anymore. We're not in 1920 anymore. We don't have one community nations anymore. Nations are multicultural and multinational. For example, using the poppy um, celebration, mm-hmm. the pop is honoring English heroes. Good. That's great. But at the same time, there are people from nations that are English. They're English now. They have English um, citizenship. But England fought against their own nations. So how would they wouldn't want to stand up and celebrate this thing? That's one. And I'm not talking about fans. I'm talking about players. Correct. There are players, for example, that are Iranian-born, French-born. Argentina-born players that maybe play for England or their grandparents are from Argentina who would look at the poppy as a slight because their grandfather fought in that war. So that's one of the reasons why when Australia and Saudi Arabia had that crisis, it was just because these are two nations on polar opposites of the political spectrum playing a football game. They're trying to do... Um, one minute silence. I want some guys that I know, no, no. The guys are trying to do one minute silence towards their heretics. Correct. They're traitors. And the other guys go, these are our heroes. And this kicked up. So that's why sometimes I personally think politics, even though for a lot of people, patriotism should, it's, should be love and respect for your nation. It's not about hatred for another nation. It's not, so if you really love your nation, you should love your nation every day. It's not about a special, one special day, one special moment. And don't get me wrong. I celebrate, I personally celebrate Remembrance Day. I personally celebrate Armistice Day. I personally celebrate Veterans Day. I honor the men because I believe that as you walk on the roads today, you should remember those that cut the grass because it used to be a bush before. So somebody cut that grass. So remember that. But then at the same time, I also have to remember that some people... His grandfathers were, are buried under these roads. So there's a balance to these things, and that is where I, I think that we should try to use sports to unify people, try to use sports to find a common ground. Correct. And finding a common ground means take religion, take race, take politics out of sports. This whole thing of ultra fans, racist fans, Fans coming to chant nationalism and this. No, no, no. Albanian fans <coughs> should not have a problem play, playing Estonia and all of this. These guys should not, this should not become, sorry, not Estonia, Switzerland. These guys should not, this is this is football. This should not be coming into a game. Okay. Yes, that's okay. just my personal opinion. Okay, okay. Uh, that comes um, to the end of our episode 10. Thanks for all the questions, um, everyone. Uh, thanks, Buchi, for hosting us. Um, at your place. My pleasure, my pleasure. Um, I'm sure your, your food, your fridge will never forget us. <laughs> we have made an imprint 
on your fridge. Please come and do it again. Please, please come and do it again. Please, please, please. Okay. It was a pleasure. Um, guys, ladies, if you're listening to this, do, you know, do diligence for us. Leave us a review, feedback on all our platforms, on Spotify and iTunes. It's three words. They, T-H-E, Footy Fantasy, F-O-O-T-I-E, Fantasy, one word, podcast. Positive or negative? Positive or negative? Leave us review, we just want feedback. feedback. On YouTube, is Footy Fantasy. On Twitter, it's at, our handle is at Footy Ad Fantasy on Twitter. That's F-O-O-T-I-E-A-D Fantasy. Fantasy. And Facebook is Footy Fantasy. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Have a great week. All right.